Where do you think the motion design industry will be in five to 10 years? Do you ever wish life had an undo button? Walking the balance between business and the creative life can be hard. But Matt and Shelby are here to attempt to answer the tough questions, so you don't need an undo. Presented by Made by Things, this is the Command Z Show. And we're back with another riveting episode of the Command Z Show. Shelby, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm excited. We're starting kind of our new series with the Command Z Show with the Making Midwest series. So very exciting. I don't know if you want to give a little introduction into what that is. I do. Yeah. Yes. Um, So before I uh, introduce our guest today, um, as Shelby said, we're we're trying to start this new series of uh, uh, presenters and people involved with Making Midwest. So Making Midwest is a motion design conference that um, we've sort of dabbled in over the last seven years. And um, this year we decided to kind of crank it up a notch or two. Um, in the past, this was always just kind of like a creative side project, I guess, for me. And um, this year I was thinking about what might happen if we just really focused on a single industry and uh, what better industry to focus on than one that we are in that uh, made by things. Sorry. I was going to forget the name there for a second. <laughs> Where do we work? <laughs> this is what happens when you come up with names for things and you, <laughs> you name them all similarly. Made by made. Made by made. <laughs> um, so that being said, our guest today is Matt Garrison. Mac, how you doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Matt and Shelby. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So you, this is your second time on the show, right? Ah, oh, I feel honored. I know, I know how to log into the Riverside app. Now. <laughs> uh, already already uh, one for one today, and that there's no audio hiccups or video hiccups. So we're already on a roll. <laughs> Love it. Um. Yeah, and uh, so Mac, you'll be uh, you'll be on a panel uh, during Making Midwest, and that panel we're going to basically talk about the state of the industry. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot has happened over the years, um, but definitely really looking forward to it. Um, I believe you're going to be on that as well, yep. uh, Matt, and I think Amanda Russell from Cream yep. too, correct? Yep. Nice. Yeah, nice. Oh, yeah, it'll be great. It'll be yeah, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's it's very rare that I get a chance to uh, talk to other. Uh, studio owners about like kind of what's going on and or what they're what things that they're noticing or what trends they're noticing in the industry um so i'm looking to looking forward to just chatting with the both of you and for just other people to be able to ask questions and get our thoughts on because i have a feeling that all three of us are going to have just a completely different perspective even though we do something similar we each go about it a different way so i i I think it'll be really valuable for everybody to be able to kind of get that perspective yeah i do too and i think it's very fitting just given how much change we've seen in our own industry even over the last couple of years compared to the last decade right uh, you know i think about from when dash first opened his doors back in 2015 to where we are now and even the types of content that we were creating what was our bread and butter how much that has evolved even with the new tech and tools that have come out and then of course over the last you know, six months to a year, how that's even dramatically shifted a bit more and, and starts to talk towards what's to come and what's next for our industry, which is really interesting. Yep. 
So that all being said, uh, Shelby, I hear that you have a question. Yeah, I I can definitely ask this question. Um, We're going to relate this, you know, more specifically, but where do you think the motion design industry will be in five to 10 years? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I think to talk a little bit about the future, I want to take it a little bit to the past and kind of what, you know, for us, the last eight to nine-ish years have looked like. You know, when we started Dash, um, first of all, for those who don't know me, my name is Matt Garrison. I'm the co-founder and director of content at Dash. We are a high-end animation motion design studio that believes in the power of creativity and community. And our goal is to connect brands to their communities. That's what we've been working on and been building over the last eight-ish years. Um, when we started the company back in 2015, I did so because you know I wanted to make great work and work with wonderful people. And most of the deliverables we were creating were in what folks would now describe as the explainer video space. Uh, we're headquartered in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a growing tech hub. So naturally, a lot of the deliverables we were making were trying to explain, you know, things that were very convoluted and hard to understand. And that held true for the first, you know, three to six years. And then all of a sudden we started to get to this space with new channels being created, new digital mediums. Uh, anyone who's been working in this industry for a while knows all about that because they've been making one by ones, four by threes, nine by 16, 16 by nines. You've just got a myriad of different deliverables that have to be on these different channels. So what used to be a single deliverable and maybe a couple of cutdowns had then started to become a myriad of cutdowns and, you know, less about the single deliverable. And so now we're at this place where, you know, I've been running the studio for almost nine years. And I start going back to your question, Shelby, like, what do I look, what does it look like for the future? And like, what are these deliverables we're going to be making? And I think that's where it starts to get into a little bit more ambiguity. The future to me had always felt pretty clear and consistent when I first started the company. It was like video is king. Let's just keep making really great content. And that in and of itself should be enough. And I think what we started to recognize, uh, at least our studio has, particularly over the past year, and, and I'm not sure if a lot of listeners also had a tougher 2023, we did as well. Um, but I think it starts to realize that brands are asking to do more with less. There's more people involved in the industry than there's ever been before. And now you have this new addition of AI and all the tech that's coming along with it. And so naturally, the question is like, well, what is the deliver? What should we be creating? And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of change on. So to your question is like, what does the next five years look like? I think it's going to reward innovators who are able to come up with new ways to utilize the tech and create new deliverables that really haven't been seen a ton recently. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and I also think it's going to be requiring studios and creatives to be a bit more crafty and doing a bit more that might normally be outside their wheelhouse as we position to be more generalist to a certain degree. Because the way that I've seen it is that, you know, when I first got into the space, this is a long-winded answer, but no, a lot no, of this is great. When I first got into the space, there was, in my opinion, a very traditional workflow for creative business hires an agency of record an AOR. AOR needs help on a project. They go hire various studios or freelancers, depending on the need. And I think over the last 10 years, in-house brands have started to build up their own internal teams a bit bigger. And that has in turn resulted in less of a need 
for AORs outside the really big companies. And so because of that, instead of saying, hey, we should go to this agency to handle everything, some of these in-house brands are like, you know what, we just need a studio to help us with a website, or we just need uh, a studio to help us make this video or with our branding. And so all of a sudden, you know, some of these projects that typically were going to agencies were now going to studios and it created a bit of competition at the top, which is great initially because studios are like fantastic. I'm being brought in for bigger budgets, a lot of competition here. That's great. On the other side of it, you have freelancers that are getting more and more powerful, more talented with what they can do. The accessibility of these programs, the softwares and equipment we used to make this stuff is getting easier to obtain. And on the bottom side, where studios used to have this kind of entry-level work, I think a lot of freelancers are taking that directly now. And so what that has created over the last like decade or so is this slow pinch in the industry where you have agencies and studios kind of pinching down from the top, studios and freelancers from the bottom. And I think that's going to be a more more crowded space as we move into the future. And so the folks that are really going to be at Excel are going to be the ones that can be kind of in the very middle of that, where they can work on smaller budgeted projects from time to time. They can also have the ability to scale up as well. And whether that's a freelancer studio or agency, I think we're starting to get into this space where it's getting muddled together a little bit. So I think a mixture of the big pinch is what I'll call it. And I think that in conjunction with some of the uh, new deliverables and new asks and this new ask for innovation is kind of coupling together to create this a little bit of an ambiguous future, um, which is also you know exciting and scary. Right. Uh, so much there that I want to respond to, <clears throat> but let's go. Let's go first with this idea of this pinching that's sort of happening. Mm-hmm. I remember having a conversation with um, somebody at a company I was working at in. I want to say this was 2013. Uh, I remember it very clearly. Uh, I was in Los Angeles, Los Angeles at the time. I was walking to Trader Joe's <laughs> um, during lunch. And um, I, I, I guess it just kind of hit me at that point where a couple of the bigger visual effects companies that were known to do incredible work were closing down. And I'm like, wait, like they have hundreds of people that work here. And like, yeah, they do amazing work, but they're, they're closing down. Like that's something's happening and it's not just unique to any one company. Now, visual effects is obviously a little bit of a different industry than motion design, but they're similar, right? They're brothers. (laughs) Um, And it's something that I noticed and I was saying, like, I really think that the future is in smaller companies. I, I don't think that the secret or like the the goal anymore is build a 200 person company. I think that the goal is be as big as you need to be to be able to do amazing stuff, which, yeah, I mean, you know, back in the day, whenever Jurassic Park was getting made, there needed to be so many people to be able to do those things. But now it just doesn't take that many people to do it. And a lot of that is obviously because the technology has adapted over time to become better and easier to use. Um, but it's interesting now from my perspective where I I feel that same pinch that you're talking about where I'm like, okay, I feel like we're competing with both sides. Like we're still competing with companies that are a little bit bigger and doing similar quality work. But at the same time, we're also competing against individual like freelancers that can do (laughs) great quality work too. Um, so for us, I'm like, they're, I think specifically this last year, it's like, all right, well, where do we fit? Like as a 10 person studio, like how, like how do we compete with both of those sides? And I know that you guys probably have the same conversation, right? Um, 
but it's it's interesting because you can go into a conversation with a potential client and you're like, okay, well, if I don't bid, if I bid too, like if I bid more and I'm competing against the free, here's, you don't know who you're competing against, right? Like sometimes you do, but you often don't know like, okay, are they on, are they looking for a team or are they looking for something to get done at a low budget? So it's like, obviously how you handle a project like that really kind of depends on how you quote it. Right. <laughs> so yeah, just when you go into these conversations and you don't know if you're competing on the lower end or the higher end, uh, you know, obviously if you, you think you're competing on the lower end, but you're actually competing on the higher end, all of a sudden now you are this bid that comes in extremely low and you're immediately taken out of the running basically. Cause it's like, all right, well, something odd is happening here. Like, why would this one company be so much lower? But then on the other side, you bid too high and you're competing against a freelancer. You're like, uh, it's not <laughs> like this is way higher than it's, you just never know. Right. Um, it's also an interesting space too. I think like, in my opinion, you know, 2020 to 2021, I think there was a big rise in the need for animation. You naturally right. have the pandemic that comes up. Folks can't do live action shoots. Companies need to connect with their audience. They need to make videos, how they do it. They lean towards animation. And so I think from 2020, 2021, 2022, we saw a big rise in that uh, to the point where, you know, a lot of folks that I talked to were inundated with work to the point where it was almost too much work and they were saying no to stuff right. uh, because it was starting to get so big. Budgets were a bit bigger because people, brands needed the help and they were paying for it. So then you come uh, a lot of tech layoffs, uh, you know, same for the financial space and other parts of our economy. And I think there was this pullback on what folks thought 2023 was going to be. So brands couldn't just not make work, but they just had to do more with less. So questions started to come up, at least for us about, you know, instead of, Hey, can we do a net new video? It's like, Hey, how do we rework some of this content we've done before? How do we take, you know, this interview or this video series, add a little bit of graphics to it and kind of get that moving forward. And what that did, I think is, you know, Brands started pushing that content out there. There's also been the rise of UGC, so user-generated content, right? So more authenticity. And I think some of that stuff has led to, you know, marketing managers and things not only having to do more with less, but succeeding by doing more with less. And then that's kind of reshaped a little bit of this, like, standard of, like, what are the budgets we have to work with? So you kind of have this, like, you know, in any ecosystem, if there's too much, there's always a dieback because it can't be sustainable. I think we ran into that a little bit with some of the budgets that existed with clients where it got to a place everyone was desperate for help. You have the rise of UGC content, you have layoffs that are happening, more needs to be done with less. And so now you have smaller budgets to work with. And I think that kind of further illustrates why you run into other agencies you're bidding against, Matt, in some situations, because, you know, they essentially uh, need to start competing for work as well. And it's also the same reason that you're running to freelancers competing, I think, more with studios is because some of those low-end budgets and people are kind of competing in the same space. So I think those are also big factors and why that pinch has been exacerbated, I think, recently. When you talk about this, you don't seem like you are annoyed. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of other people, when they talk about this, like when they talk about this idea of this this pinching, like you, you said it yourself, like the the idea of doing more with less, I think that's always been the name of the game since it started. Right? Was just yeah, we constantly need to produce more stuff, but there's so much competition that 
I don't know, maybe it's sort of driving the cost down on certain things. Um, but how do you, why do you talk about it the way that you do without feeling like it's something that's happening to you? Like what, what is it that's going through your mind when you say these uh, things? That's such an interesting question. Well, first and foremost, I think I'm always like a glass half full kind of guy. Right. It's just my personality. It's who I am. Everything I look at in my life, I'm like, look, this is just a problem and there's a solution for it. I mean, design in and of itself is just problem solving. That's all it is. Right. And it's perpetual problems we're dealing with on a regular basis that we're trying to find solutions for. Are some more annoying than others? Sure. Do I wish like budgets weren't kind of navigating this new space? Absolutely. But I think the reality is, is that change is constant. And anyone who is stuck not doing anything or becoming complacent inevitably gets left behind, right? And so the way we look at it is we're just being introduced to a new challenge. And Dash has experienced challenges over the years. We've been a small shop in Raleigh, North Carolina, trying to make it into an industry that seemed to put weight on whether you were in New York, L.A., or Chicago, right? So we start doing all these things to kind of figure out ways to compete with that. You know, same with this. It's like, all right, the way you've been doing stuff over the years isn't the way that's going to be in the future. So what are you going to do about it? I feel like if you don't look at things with a glass half full, you can't look at like things like opportunity and get left behind. I'll give you like a great example about this, right? You know, AI in and of itself is really scary. These new tools, this new competition, all of that in and of itself is scary because it's something new that we haven't done before. But the reality is, is it's new for everybody. And because it's new for everybody, it really opens the door to new opportunity that maybe Dash didn't have otherwise, right? Where there's a standard way of doing things, there's a standard way of approaches, and everyone's done that. Some people have had running starts on us over a period of time. But I look at this and say, okay, great. Here's new opportunities that no one totally knows how to navigate yet. So now we're back to a level playing field. And so there's new opportunity for us to come up with something, something innovative or a new approach to kind of pull into it. And that, to me, is the piece that I try to cling on to because, you know, I am human. I, I do worry. I worry about some of these pieces. I worry about what it's doing to our industry. I worry about the community that we have that we hold in such high regard and, and what all this could do to that. But I try to focus my energy and effort on the pieces that I can control and what we can, can do. And that's that's really where I kind of hang my hat on. Right. Yeah, I think that's... I guess, yeah, It's once you've kind of been through a lot of change, you kind of start expecting it in a way. And whenever it shows up, you're like, okay, not exactly what I was expecting, but here it is. And how do we find a way to adapt now? Um, but so much of the industry right now, so many artists are, are at a point where they're angry about this whole AI thing. And I guess what I think is going to happen. So going to the whole five to 10 years thing, what's going to happen at some point, a line will be drawn in the sand and everyone will be forced to stand on one side or the other. And I, this is really specific, sorry, <laughs> but like, I, I feel like it's going to be something caused by artists. They're going to say, okay, well, if you are for AI, I am not going to work for you. And I wouldn't be surprised if petitions start going around and people have to start signing them to, if they haven't already anyway, saying that like, okay, we are this kind of company and we will never use, uh, AI for any of our content? I don't know, Matt. I kind of disagree with you a little bit there. Yeah. I mean, like, it's a really interesting take. And I, I think I think you're right on a lot of it, but, but there's so much ambiguity to it. Like, I just feel like there's, it's so hard to say this is right or wrong. Like, let's say you say no to a project. You're like, I don't want to work on this. It's AI oriented, right? 
But what happens when the tools that you start to use start incorporating? Like, you know, Photoshop has introduced an AI component to it. Does After Effects not have something? Does it start to limit what tools you make if you're anti-AI? Like, I feel like, like anything, you know, there's the ethics of design. And people have to navigate that on a day-to-day basis. On like, is this the right fit? And some things, you know, are really clear cut. Like, this is a terrible group, terrible entity. We'd never do work with them. But sometimes it gets kind of gray area too, right? And it up, it's up to each individual freelancer to your agency to make that decision. I kind of feel like AI is going to be in the same place. Some are going to be very objective, very easy to look at and say, like, I don't believe with this. But I think some are going to be like, oh, this is a weird gray area. What if they're just asking me to use AI as a design charrette and exploration, right. but none of the final product has any AI? Like, you know, you start getting into, like, these kind of weird gray areas. Anyway, just a hot take from my side on it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's it, though, where, like, I think part of the problem now is it's looked at as this sort of black and white thing, but we're starting to see much more gray popping up. So for instance, like it's not just AI as a whole, which is kind of how it's being talked about right now. Right. Cause it's like, there are certain parts of AI that I'm okay with and certain parts that I'm not okay with. And like, so like in Photoshop, extend, expand, expanding your backgrounds out. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Like, <laughs> like I'm all about that. Like it's, it's using the information that you, it's using the ingredients that you're putting in to be able to, you know, apply that to a, a photo or work of art. And I think that's really incredible. Um, one thing that we, we just tested was um, using an iPhone app that's using AI for motion capture. Yeah, I'm all about it. Like if we don't have to go to studios and wear the whole suit and like do all that stuff, like that's an incredible, like, it would cost tens of thousands of dollars to set up this whole motion capture system. Whereas now we just need an iPhone and somebody to clear a, a little bit of space in a room in their house. Right. Like, um, so I'm, I'm all about those things. Um, I guess for me where it starts to like cross the line a little bit and maybe it's something that I'm still trying to, to work out here is still the idea like, okay, of, writing a prompt and then all of a sudden you get a video back. So we see, so with Sora, this reveal kind of thing that's happened over the last, I don't know, week or so. Um, it looks incredible. It doesn't look anything like the AI video that we saw from a year ago. It's clearly getting the better. Will Smith, like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was really funny. I do enjoy that. But you know, when you see that, you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. It's never going to be a thing. But then you see the progress and you're all of a sudden like, oh, like that's a thing now. Um, and I don't, I don't know how I feel personally, but I, I still do feel like there will come a day or a time where, I don't know, where you sort of have to stand on one side or the other. Um, and again, I, I don't necessarily think that's the right thing, but I feel like just based on what I'm hearing from people is I feel like that, that might come at some point, but I, well, I, I read, uh, I posted about Sora on LinkedIn because I was curious, you know, at my core, I'm a designer, I'm an animator. That's how I started, you know, and, and that's still very much a part of who I am. And the creator of me saw that and was like immediately like turned off and just like, Oh, this is like, this is bad. That was like my gut reaction. I was like, I can't believe this. Because I think about all the time that it's taken me to educate clients on the value of the value of problem solving, what it takes to go into this. And in a way, it feels like it's tailored towards the masses. 
It's a commodification of creativity, and it's a simplification of what we do. And that is all terrible. Then on the other side, you know, is a growing studio. We look at, I look at it as a manager, and I'm like, well, you know, this is really interesting. It's a new tool. Is this a new opportunity for us to kind of use it to our advantage? You know, I think about the number of hours, and I'll say hours spent, looking up stock footage to try to find like the right one for that project and how annoying that is. But if like you're able to elementally use pieces of it in there and find that perfect stock, I mean, that's great. In fact, um, there's a motion designer. I'll give him a shout out now, uh, Isaac Summers, who commented on my post. And I thought he said it pretty well. He said, you know, if you see yourself as a production artist or worker, someone who is actually responsible for making things in exchange for money, you tend to find AI threatening and have negative views about it. But on the other hand, if you see yourself as more of a manager or owner, someone who's responsible for overseeing the work being done, you tend to be more positive and optimistic about the opportunity AI creates. I thought that was really well said and wanted to give him a shout out here because that's something that's kind of stuck with me. And I think it's accurate. If you are day to day a creator and you're in the weeds and doing some of this stuff, you cannot help but feel threatened by some of these things that come out there because it's the simplification of your job. But if you are trying to lead something or grow a studio, you, know, you kind of look at more as a toolkit. And I think all of us will find ourselves at moments on some of those pieces. We've all used tools that have made our life easier. We're like, oh, so thankful for this, right? But as the creative, and we still are all creatives, you know, in the space we look at it and we're like, golly, is this just more education that I'm going to have to give our clients on like, why they shouldn't be doing it, you know? <laughs> right. It, it sort of feels like, uh, it sort of feels like from the, from the owner side of things, it's, we don't just have to be creative with the work that we're doing, but we have to be creative with how we stay in business, right? Like we have to still make money to stay in business, right? That's, that's a pretty essential part of the whole thing. And um, I guess that's what I'm saying is like, if, if there is a line that's drawn and people have to stand on one side of it, like if, if you do stand on the side of like, I am just against all AI, it's kind of saying that you're accepting failure, at that point in a way, I, I don't know um, where you're just like, okay, like now, like I won't use any of it. And now if that means that I have to close the studio down, like that's what I'm going to do. And same thing for individual artists, anybody that's kind of like shunning AI at this point, it's like, well, are you, are you drawing that line saying like, I will not go to that level because if you, if you won't, then that's a threat. That's oh, that's an added threat to what your role is, right? Um, and I don't know, just seeing some of those those new examples that they're they're releasing, I'm like, man, from a stock footage perspective, going kind of what you were saying, like, whoa, like that would be absolutely incredible to just rather than just trying to search every single site to find like the perfect thing, to be able to say like, okay, like a car driving through the jungle, and then all of a sudden the camera's too high, so you're just like lower the camera <laughs> and then all of a sudden like you get exactly what you need in the right perspective and everything um or even yeah even stock things now feel like they are customized to a thing that's that's being worked on which i think solves a bigger problem that the industry's had for the last five years anyways see too much repeat of things 100 well i think for anyone listening to this who's like really nervous and scared about ai you know one of the things that i'll remind listeners about is the power and importance of human connection. You know, when I look back at all the projects uh, Dash has won over the years, in fact, I did um, a presentation at Phoenix Design Week. They had AIG put this on out in um, Arizona. So I did a presentation on the, uh, the power of community. 
And one of the things I did is I looked back at all the projects that Dash has won over the years. And I started to ask myself, how did we win this project? You know, was it someone random? Was it someone that like I knew who gave it to me? Was it a connection? And to no one's surprise, you know, like something like 84, 85% of the project that we had won had come through either like a referral recommendation or someone that was adjacent to us, right? We were talking like 85% of our work. If you look at our top 10 clients, you know, the folks who year over year are giving us the most money, you know, it was like six of those 10 came to us because of a referral, you know, or we knew them directly. And the reason I highlight that in the lens of AI is no matter what AI does, there's still human ingenuity that's important. There's still a connection because at the end of the day, people are coming to us because they want us to ease, ease a problem and solve a problem, but they also want us to guide them through the process, right? That's a real big right. part of why clients hire us, hire freelancers, agencies, and studios. Is It's like, I know I need this. I don't understand that full process on how to get there. And I want someone who's going to help educate me along the way and make me feel at ease as we go through it. I mean, that's the reason that Dash wins vast majority of their work. So for anyone out there listening who's like so anti-AI, they don't want to dabble in any of the tools. I still feel like there's going to be a market for that. I think people are going to start to see a saturation with some of these AI-driven videos where you're still going to be able to tell a little bit because it's going to look like a lot of other stuff out there. And people are going to be seeking out more originality. I think a good example would be the explainer video, right? Let's think about the explainer video back in the day. When those first came out, it was so novel. Everyone wanted one. No one knew how to make it. Like, this is so fun. And now we've all seen kind of the, um, you know, the newly armed explainer video, the little characters and stuff. I'm not taking away from that. You know, anyone who's yep. doing that stuff can still be done well. But it's just oversaturated. There's a lot more of that out there. And I personally feel like that's what we're going to start to see with a little bit of this AI. You're going to have to have the ingenuity of the human experience to make it a bit different. And for the folks that can't do that, you're going to see a lot of systemization of use of this, which in turn, I think, puts more value on what we all bring to the table, which is that unique perspective on the creative work. No, you go ahead. I think something for me with this is I don't think the way that we're looking at AI right now is the way we're going to be looking at AI in even a year from now. I think right now it's something shiny and new and we're obsessed with it at the moment. I think it's going to change pretty drastically, pretty quickly. And I think there's two reasons why I support this is one, there's going to be a lot of laws that are going to have to go in place because of AI. We're already seeing it. I mean, we had the big problem on X, formerly Twitter, um, a couple of weeks ago where there were a lot of, you know, really terrible AI images of Taylor Swift being like, you know, you know abused on Twitter. And it was a lot of problems and she's going to sue Twitter because of this and the people that created those images. So that brings into a lot of question of what can we do with, with AI? What are the powers? How far can we push it? Not to mention, you know, what are, what are the capabilities with AI as far as politics go? with creating, you know, content, political content. What is this? Can we, are we allowed to do these things? So I think there's going to be a lot of laws in place that are going to have to, we have to detect what is AI, what is created, what is real, what is not, um, how far we can push the boundaries on those things. And I also think on the other side, there are so many young creatives that are so angry about this. And I think there's a really young audience that's really angry about this. They don't really want to see it. They want that authenticity that we've talked about. They're, they're going to become, you know, they've seen it. It's shiny and new right now, but they're going to be looking for something more personal because they're not going to want to see, I don't think, every single thing 
AI generated, AI generated, AI generated. They're going to be looking for things and go out of their way to look for things that are authentic, like, you know, authentically created by real creatives as opposed to just through a computer. So I don't think that it's an all sum game right now to say, oh, I'm not going to use AI ever. Because I think you definitely could five years from now in the way that AI looks after we've kind of gone through this shiny new toy period. I echo that same sentiment. I think you're right, Shelby. I mean, you know, the market, as they say, drives a lot of decisions. And, you know, if the market's eating up AI content, then it'll push towards that. But to your point, I think right now folks want authenticity. It's the same reason that a lot of apps are now labeling content that's been made with AIs like this has been AI generated, right? Because it's trying to get back to that root of transparency. And so I think if the vast majority of population starts to reject it or push that back or not like it, then there'll definitely be a consistent push towards more of the human side, as you were mentioning. So I, I would agree with that too. Nice. So one of the things over this past weekend, uh, my nephew is about to go to uh, college for a design program and also you can hear my little one galloping upstairs right now (laughs) um and uh i took a look at the like i don't know course descriptions of like all the courses that need to be taken um and the question is like okay is this a good program? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> like we're talking about four years away right now. Like what, what are the things that I think that you're going to need to know? I don't know. Um, like, but I'm like looking at, it, I'm like, okay, this all makes sense, but it's just been something that's been kind of on my mind is like, what, what, what courses do I think need to be in place right now? Like, does there need to be like a general like AI course? Does there need to be an AI ethics uh, mm-hmm. course? Like, what what things need to kind of be in place there? And I think all, all colleges are probably thinking the same right now. Like, what what do we need to do to kind of stay ahead right now? Because if they do choose to ignore it, then I think that'd be a mistake. But I think it's also highlights just, you know, it's, it's easy to forget sometimes when you get in the thralls of things and you're focused on either consistent type of work, consistent type of day-to-day, and doing that over and over. But, you know, stuff like this is a reminder for our need to continually learn. And I'm not even suggesting that it's like AI learning. I'm just talking about it in general, right? That like complacency, you know, and just kind of sitting still. Uh, it just is a reminder that like, you've always got to be tinkering. You got to be playing around, got to be trying stuff and at least exposing yourself to it. I think taking in perspective on everything is I think really healthy. I think playing around with different tools or different approaches or, or trying to learn something new you know, that's how you make your role evergreen. From a perspective of a business owner, you know, for anyone listening, when we go out to hire someone or to bring someone in as a freelancer or a contractor, you know, the main thing that we're looking for is someone who's a problem solver and is open to trying different things, right? So if it's a full-time employee, sure, we might look at them through the lens of like, okay, great, they're good at 2D animation. That's our bread and butter. We'll bring them for 2D animator. Oh, but they're interested in dabbling in 3D. They're interested in being involved in more community events. They have a knack for trying X, Y, Z. I mean, we are looking for people who are eager to try something new, right? And, and not be stacked. Same goes for our contractors. It, we're more apt to hire someone that 
you know, is a problem solver. That's not just can do one thing. They can do a couple of things because it makes it easier because ultimately we never know what we're going to get thrown at us. And so having someone that can be a little bit flexible. So to me, when I think about like one thing that this is going to encourage people to do is be more lifelong learners and not, you know, some people do that already and are great. I personally found that I should be doing a better job of that, that like maybe I get caught in my day to day and am I really out there learning and trying something new? Um, and it's a reminder to me that I need to stay on my toes and do the same thing. Yeah. That's one of the things that I was actually talking to the team about over the last few weeks where I'm like, man, we're coming off of one of the best years we've ever had, but I still feel like we need to be thinking of ways to adapt kind of how we work with people and, and what we do, not necessarily just about AI, but just, in general, it's like, it's like, well, I, I feel like that's the trap always is when you, you do things really good once you think that it's just going to stay that way. Um, but that's the thing is like, it's, I don't know. It's like a, the industry is like a treadmill of sorts where like you could probably stand still and still move a little bit. Um, but there's always going to be people sprinting on that treadmill still and pushing things to new places. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, it's a good reminder that like, I think that's a tough thing too, is like you see people sprinting into new technology. Right. And you're kind of thinking like, gosh, I, I don't know this enough. You're kind of hard on yourself, very critical. And like, am I doing everything? You know, am I a fraud in this space because I'm not continuing learning or not doing this? Social media does a great job of showing you all the people that are running, right, right. <laughs> literally and figuratively, right? And I think the reality is, and what, and something that everyone should remember is that we're all kind of moving in our own pace. And just because you're not sprinting in a direction doesn't mean that you're not progressing and getting better. And just simply dabbling in stuff, reading about stuff, looking into it is good. And I think sometimes, you know, we're very self-critical of ourselves that we should be at this new place or this new tools come out, you know, think about things like Rive. Rive just kind of came onto the scene relatively recently. I know it's been a buzz in our industry for folks playing around with it. You know, I forget what course it was. It put out a how to use Rive course. And I'm sure a lot of folks are looking at this and they're like, Oh my gosh, like, I don't know Rive. Like, am I going to right. be uh, obsolete because I don't know Rive? And, you know, I think the first starting point is just look it up you know, and just look into it. And that in and of itself is starting to push you in the right direction, but we just don't always have to be just running everywhere. I think just right. reminding folks that it's okay. It's an incremental process. Dash is the same way. You know, every year, one thing that I've done uh, at the studio that I think helps is we try to ground ourselves in an umbrella term for the year that we kind of move towards. In the past, it's been things like purpose and intention. It's been community. It's been visibility. How do we get ourselves out there more? It's been different. You know, this year we chose innovation. And that was a very strategic and tactical reason we chose that is because, you know, we started to look back and at the things that have been the same. And we all started to look at the future that's coming and understand that there might be some different pieces that come into play. We started asking ourselves, what's the most common type of work we've been doing? But really, we started asking ourselves, is our process and approach the right way to be doing it? You know, we built a successful studio. We've been in business now like almost eight and a half years. Um, but, you know, does that mean that the process and the things that we have in place is correct. So we've kind of been going through auditing our creative, the way we approach things. We've been auditing our management, the way we do it. We've been auditing our sales. Are we doing that the right way? Are we doing the way we market it? And it's not saying the way we've been doing it has been wrong, but we're just starting to ask ourselves, is there a better way, right? And I think that's 
that's the key part that goes back to that learning side. It's just being open to some of that change, open to reflecting on the way you do things. And maybe there's opportunity to tweak some things here and there, not holistically, but elementally. Oh, I love that. I really do. Um, oddly enough, I felt like that was an important part for us as well this year was to just kind of like shake the etch a sketch a little bit and be like, all right, let's rebuild our process because just, yeah, over the last like three years, it feels like things have just sort of changed. Um, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting to have those periods of time where you're like, wait a minute, we've always done it like this. Like, wait, do we still need to like, can we just take that out or more so for us, it was actually like making sure we're being more clear about the steps that we do take uh, so that everybody on the team sort of knows like what to expect from, from place to place. But mm -hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's jump into some final thoughts here. So uh, final thoughts, where's the industry going to be in five to 10 years? Shelby, let's start with you. Yeah. I think um, kind of going back to your question, Matt, of what classes should we see, you know, relating to this? I think one of the best lessons that I ever learned when I was in school and I remember it so clearly. I was like, I was in LA sitting in a classroom and one of our, one of our professors, she was like a guest speaker. Um, she comes in and she's like, okay, I have been a ballerina. I have been a line producer. I have been this, I have been that. She's done every single job you can imagine. She said, the most important thing I've ever done was learn how to pivot. And I think that is something that that's, that's what needs to be taught is the ability to pivot, that it's okay that you're not selling out if you pivot, if you change, that you're able to be versatile and to be able to kind of, you know, be a well-rounded studio or individual creative where you can kind of go towards that line, like what Mac was saying, where you can work with some of those bigger projects. You can also work with the smaller projects. You're able to kind of toe the line between both of them and walk and live in both spaces. I think that's really a really important lesson to learn right now for the future of our industry. Right. <laughs> you can't see it, but Mac is clapping. <laughs> well said. Um, <clears throat> Mac, any, any thoughts to wrap up everything? You, you, you said everything quite well, but I don't want to give you another chance to say anything else. I'll tell you, this is, this is my glass half full comment, but I think the future is more collaborative than it'll ever have been before. Yeah. And the reason I say that is to kind of some of the pieces that Shelby brought up and being in your versatility, being able to hop to different things. But I also see more opportunity than ever before for studio to studio collaboration, yeah. both in the same space but, or in adjacent spaces. You know, we're working on a project right now where we're talking to an architect, uh, we're talking to a fabrication studio, and we're the motion component into it. And we're three smaller shops that are coming together for this bit, right? And We've also done a project this year where we worked with a branding shop to handle the motion component. They handled the branding bit. I see more of that happening. I see more collaboration coming. And to me, that's what's the most exciting is that you're bringing in people with different perspectives, different skill sets, different ideas to the table on your perspective and your ideas. And you're seeing what can be hashed out and what can come uh, to fruition. And I think this idea of kind of working with groups and silos is also going to break. You know, I talked about the big pinch earlier where we're all kind of competing for some of the same things. I think the way that we break out of that is to leverage one another, work with one another, you know, not viewing each other as competition, but viewing each other as collaborators. And so to me, that's what's most exciting about the future. And that's my class half full take on it. Yeah, I love that. Um, 
I guess something something similar what I would say is there's definitely a lot of a lot of people are really scared of the whole AI thing right now. Um, and I, I think it's sort of like what you were talking about, Mac. It's 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 okay to be a little bit scared about it, but it's also okay just to kind of look into it a little bit more. Like if you don't know something, it literally in an hour, if you just dedicate an hour to like, what is Sora? And like just watching all the videos that you can and understand, like watching the keynote presentations, the more you understand of these things, the less intimidating, the less fearful you're generally going to be of them. And like you were saying, Shelby, it's, I think no matter, no matter what you are as a, as a creative, there will always have to be times to pivot. Um, even when you look at anyone's path in the past, it's, there's always been a series of little pivots. And I don't think that this is any different necessarily. Um, I think in an ideal world, this like AI just helps people do things better. Um, but I think there is another part of it that helps people just that are previously, I don't know, not able to do things to now have that ability. But I, I don't necessarily see that as like this big, like they're, they're taking your jobs kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I just, I see this as a new technology that's available to us, just like a new 3d software tool, just like Rive, where you just talked about, like, I don't see AI as any different than that. Um, I don't know, like, it probably will take some jobs, I guess, if I'm being completely honest, but I don't think it's the jobs that everyone is necessarily gunning for at all the time, right? Um, I don't know, maybe I regret saying that at some point, <laughs> but I just, I think that if if you are competing with, with AI right now, well, I guess that's the thing is like, first of all, you need to understand, like, are you competing against AI or not? Like, look at what it's capable of and be honest with yourself. Like, are you doing the exact thing that it's doing right now? Like, if you are a, maybe like a map painter uh, or a set extension artist, like as we were talking about, like, yeah, there's a direct threat to the job that you are doing. And it doesn't mean that you're useless or anything like that. It just means that you need to, you might be at a point where you have to pivot right now, where you might need to say like, okay, what, like if, if AI can do that, what can't AI do that is related to my skill set? And maybe it's time to adapt to that a little bit. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll say is I know that that's hard, especially for, people that have their identity wrapped up in what they do. So I guess that's the other thing I would, I would say is, is take a long look at that and, and realize that you are not what you do necessarily, right? Like the skill set that you have, your creative ability um, is not necessarily who you are. So, you know, don't take it as a threat to who you are as a person, uh, but be willing to adapt I suppose. All right. Uh, a, lot of good nuggets. a lot of good nuggets today. <laughs> I think this is, this is where we say that everyone should be coming to making Midwest to see the part two of our conversation where we slide in, you know, uh, Amanda for cream as well. So I'm, I'm really excited about the conversation. Yep. Uh, if you've been listening to this and they're excited about it, you should, what are you waiting for? Your ticket, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. Yep. I 100% agree. And you know what? Don't just bring yourself along. Bring yourself and all your friends along, too. That's right. Bring um, yourself and all your friends. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Mac, I, I very much appreciate your time and this. Just a great conversation. Again, like you said, looking forward to chatting through this more during Making Midwest. And um, I don't know. Just uh, always exciting to hear just kind of your, your opinion on a lot of things here. Um, very unemotional opinions to things, which I think is what this industry honestly needs. So oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Always enjoy being here. Always enjoy these conversations. Shelby, great seeing you again as well. And uh, I will see you all here and not too much longer. What are the dates again, Matt, to remind everyone for me? Uh, March. Nope. <laughs> May 17th to 19th. I'm quite sure it's those dates. <laughs> I am 90% sure. Uh, <laughs> yep. I'm looking for the uh, the Grand Columbus experience. You know, yep. we'll have to uh, share some some eateries to check out. And oh, we will. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's we were actually just talking about that. We're excited to just kind of share that with everybody. Uh, we we kind of came to the uh, the realization that like, hey, we are pitching Columbus, Ohio as a vacation destination. Um, <laughs> didn't real like didn't think about it like that but like it's like no that's what we're doing right now and we have i mean as of right now people that have gotten tickets like there is people from i mean almost every state in the united states that are that are coming so it's really cool just to see that um everybody realizes that ohio is not just cornfields and livestock um and there is there is something more here to to see and um yeah we're trying to do something big and uh I don't know. I think everybody will be really into it. So, well, Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Uh, to everyone still listening, uh, I appreciate you and love you. Bye. The Comancy Show is created by Made by Things. And if you have a question you would like us to discuss, you can send a message at cmdz.show. And if you like what you hear, leave a review. We'll see you next week with a brand new show.